0: Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today, because we know that God is already here and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. So, if you've uh, been with us here since Easter, following along uh, in our sermon series. Uh, The name of the series is In Light of All This, Jesus' Last Words. We've been taking a close look at all of Jesus' sayings that he said uh, during the 40 days it was recorded uh, he spent on earth with the disciples after the resurrection. This past Thursday was actually Ascension Thursday. which was the 40th uh, day that uh, Jesus spent with the disciples where he was then raised uh, to be with the Father in heaven. So, the interesting thing about the passage that we're going to look at today, a post-resurrection passage, comes out of the Gospel of Matthew is somewhat unique uh, for this time period uh, in that it never actually mentions Jesus' ascension but rather ends on a note of promise and assurance from Jesus to his disciples saying I am with you always to the end to the very end of the age. <laughs> Matthew's account of Christ's resurrection is a rather dramatic one where there is an earthquake there is an angel of the lord descending from heaven who comes to roll the stone out of the entrance of Jesus's tomb and Matthew says this angel of the lord appeared like lightning This angel is glowing like lightning that is terrifying but awesome also, right? It must have been terrifying because the centurions were reportedly like dead men, according to Matthew. They were paralyzed at the sight of all this. And we can infer from the angel's first words, Do not be afraid to Mary Magdalene and Mary, Jesus' mother, that they were also in shock at all these events going on with the earthquake, this angel of the Lord descending and moving this boulder out of the front of Jesus' tomb. It was so awesome of a sight, remember, that the chief priests went to great lengths to try to keep this story from even getting out. In fact, they were so concerned, remember, that they put up some hush money to keep the centurion guards quiet who had witnessed it. So this is the background to our passage today. According to Matthew, two grieving women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, have followed Jesus all the way to the cross, to his death and to his tomb to pay their respects. And it is in the midst of their experience of great loss that Jesus' resurrection is revealed to them. They are the privileged ones, according to Matthew, who get to take the news to the 11 that he is risen It is also these two women, according to Matthew, who are also the first to receive a face-to-face greeting from the Lord himself and a reiteration of instructions by the angel of the Lord to tell the disciples where to go and where they will see him. Should it really be any surprise, though, that the ones who follow him relentlessly all the way to the cross, to the tomb, are the first to see him? How could it not be the ones who remain the closest in proximity to the scene of Christ's crucifixion, his burial, and are at his tomb mourning him that they would not be the first to see the resurrection? Well, this is how it goes according to Matthew. The ladies who followed him through it all get to be the ones who see death defeated first. They get to be the ones to see what a resurrected body looks like first. They get to be the first to worship the risen Christ. And they get to go and tell the rest of the followers to go to Galilee where they will see him. And if you take notice, God is always in front of them every step of this journey. So this is how we arrive at our passage for today. So with that, I would like to invite you all to open up your Bibles or you can read and follow along from the screen as I read to you from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. <clears throat> And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our passage begins by telling us that the 11 disciples have arrived in Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them they would go, and where Mary Magdalene and Jesus' mother Mary, directed by an angel, and Jesus would also tell them to go. So when resurrected, Jesus shows up on the mountain in Galilee where he is anticipated, Matthew documents the response of the 11 by saying, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Though it doesn't tell us who doubted or how many doubted, but simply some doubted without giving any specificity. At first glance, it might appear peculiar that Matthew placed this statement of doubting in the midst of the disciples worshiping Jesus, But if you really think about it, is it? If you've been here uh, worshiping with us and you recently heard Pastor Chris's sermon, Benefit of the Doubt, we've been chewing on that, haven't we? So the reality is, I think if we're honest with ourselves, is that doubt is not necessarily so strange for us as we approach Christ. And take Peter, for example, when he so boldly believed he could walk on water until doubt caught up with him by surprise when he, feared the winds and the storm, and began to sink before crying out for God's saving hand. You see, actually, the way doubt is used in our passage here is exactly the same way it's used where Peter's doubt sinks him. It is, of course, when Peter takes his focus off the power that allows him to walk on water, Christ, and his attention shifts to his own abilities or lack thereof to walk on water, that he begins to go underwater, Though it must seem incredible to behold with their own eyes the resurrected Christ, it would have not have been so long since Jesus was just crucified. We should keep in mind that the world does not seem much different to them. The political landscape has not changed. Rome is still in charge. And being part of Jesus' circle of followers, they probably would not have had too many ally- allies, think about it, looking out for them. I mean, let us not forget that it was not long after Jesus called Lazarus out of his tomb, the chief priests wanted Lazarus dead because he was part of a miracle that was leading people away from them and towards Christ. So it is well known that being a follower and being associated with Jesus doesn't necessarily go without threat. How about you and I? How do we stand worshiping Jesus as Lord without doubts? If we're honest, Don't we carry some doubts of our own? Isn't it easy to get consumed by what is going on around us that we too can take our eyes off Jesus? When we start to lose hope in our situations, it is when we start to feel uneasy. We start to make our own plans as how things are going to get settled, to take things into our own hands. But how long do our fixes last? All of ours are temporary, but God's fixes are quite different, aren't they? How are we handling living in a polarized world where we might feel bombarded by a constant messaging playing to us that you have to choose sides? Where if you don't believe what I believe, then I have no intention of listening to you is being played out all around us. Where you might be used to hearing the chant, it's those people that are the problem, and it's implied that getting rid of those people is the solution. How are you and I doing trusting Jesus in this landscape of ours today that maybe Jesus has a different kind of solution for the issues we face in this world that brings both sides together when there are different perspectives on issues that allows us to grow together in this life he has for us to the glory of God rather than trying to eliminate one another? to do something radically different than what any of us could do on our own, to love our enemies. The good news is Jesus does offer us life like this, a resurrected life where death and enmity between us and others is defeated, a life that he poured out for us so that we could join him. Despite the doubts that some are having, Jesus comes to them and tells them that, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this power and authority he's talking about that he has been given, he's about to make real clear that he is going to bestow on them in a much broader way than he had done previously when he empowered them to cast out demons, to cure diseases and sicknesses within the house of Israel. No, now there are no longer going to be geographical boundaries or people boundaries such as avoiding the gentiles in the jurisdiction of authority he is claiming he is showing them that his inbreaking kingdom has now come to claim all peoples and all spaces and that nothing is outside of his authority both in heaven and on earth it doesn't say that doubt instantaneously leaves the disciples when he makes this declaration to them about his authority It doesn't say that the disciples don't still struggle with apprehensions. No, they will. Remember Peter in Acts struggles in discerning what is clean and unclean, all while staying at Simon the Tanner's house, who, by the way, would have been considered unclean for working with dead animals. But Peter's changing. Do you see that? He's already, it's already beginning to work in him. And then Peter also struggles with who he can eat with to the extent that at one point he argues it out with Paul and Paul rebukes him and corrects him. But the secret to their peace and dealing with their doubts, the secret in their inability to find unity in the midst of disagreements is not something that comes out of their own sensibilities, but rather by yielding to the power, authority, and hope of Jesus And what God reveals to them. Coming to the realization that Jesus was creating something new in them and around them, and that when they abide in him, fruit is made. God's table is opened up. New believers are ready to receive Christ and his kingdom. They are ready to participate in the kingdom life, not by the power of the disciples but by the same power that resurrected Christ that is in them, with them, and all around them. It is from the authority, from this power, that Jesus sends them to make more followers, just like them. Just like it all started when Jesus called them in Galilee by saying, follow me. Now they are being sent from Galilee, being sent and powered by the Spirit to lead others into communion with God everywhere. He tells them to make disciples of all nations or peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The thing of it is, he doesn't give them a checklist or a track to hand out to do that. He doesn't give them a metric to measure the success as to how discipleship multiplies or how they're doing or you know you guys just aren't cutting it because you're just not, you know, it's, it's not like that. He tells them, that to go out and just have people, he doesn't tell them to go out and just have people say the prayer and that they'll be saved. When Peter goes out, he shares the good news. And before Peter even gets it, the Holy Spirit is there and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. God puts in front of him these Gentiles to receive. And what happens after that, they are baptized, they are transformed in a way that compels them to invite Peter to stay with them for several days. It's this kind of radical hospitality that did not previously exist between them, uh, Peter as a Jew and them as Gentiles, before they were discipled. But this is the transformation that's taking place. But this sequence of disciple-making, if you take notice, is precipitated always by Peter's own ongoing transformation where he is able to go into new territory and be with people he once would have never been associated with. It is hearing God being receptive to God's call on him, guiding him into this new territory that God is taking Peter to make new followers in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The thing is, there are no geographical boundaries in Christ's program for us. Because he is sending us everywhere, claiming every square inch under his authority in our neighborhoods, across town, out of state, out of the country, not just part time, but all the time. We don't know the way which the Spirit is coming from or where it is going, but we do know that God is with us and empowering us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't mention the Holy Spirit in our passage, interestingly. He just says that, I am with you always until the end of the age. If you recall, there is a similar pattern in John's gospel, the way Jesus speaks about the Father being in him, and he in the Father, that where he is, the Father is with him, and that the Father never leaves him in the same way. This is indeed the true nature of our God, Emmanuel, showing us the nature of himself, God who is truly with us and always with us. Before the resurrection, Jesus always indicates his authority is from the Father who sent him, who is with him, who he is abiding in. But now he is telling them that he has been given that authority. He is telling them, he is telling us. He is, abiding, he is, he is telling them, he is telling us that he is the one, the divine God, the life giver who has a mission for us. Like the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is sending us under his authority, under his power to abide in him and make more followers. You know, I once heard a sermon uh, where it was said, we don't all have to be missionaries. Um, and, And the pastor meant this in the sense of vocational missionary work. The kinds like we support, like our global missionaries or our local missionary partners. And while I would agree that we're not all called to be doing vocational missionary work, we have to be very careful making statements like that without unpacking it. Because connecting to God's mission in the world is for all of us. Wherever we are located, no matter what our profession is, God wants to use us in that domain too. As well as in our homes, in our families, and in all areas of our lives. Because Making disciples is God's mission for all of his followers, not just those on specialized missions. It is living out of his spirit, serving others everywhere we go, showing people that we are not like the world. In Christ, we carry the hope for everyone's redemption, where we don't have to fight for our righteousness in the world because the battle has already been won for us. There is no us versus them in Christ. There is no canceling people for thinking differently than us in Christ. There is room for differences in Christ. There are second chances in Christ. There is forgiveness in Christ. There is shalom in Christ. And God knows we need all those things. The good news is we do have all those things Christ offers us because He promises to be with us always and invites us to live out of his resurrected life. Christ offers us his constant presence so that we can be present for those in search of his everlasting hope, so that we can be empowered to offer our lives for the sake of others like he does for us. Christ offers us life so that we can join him in his reconciling work rather than participate in culture wars. Christ offers us new life by forgiving us so that we can do the same for others, offering a taste of his redemption now. Everything that Christ offers us is out of his resurrected life, a promise that defeats death, that makes us alive so that we can share this life with him and others. Making disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is building up God's church on earth out of his power. It's building a community that heals us all and makes us complete in the one who created us for this kind of life. Here's the thing. The only way you and I are going to see what Christ resurrected is doing in and around us is if we listen to his call in every area of our lives and follow him faithfully when he says, come and see what I am doing. Don't feel bad if you're a little like Peter at times in your apprehension to go into new places that might seem a little unkosher. We're all a little like Peter in our doubts sometimes. But that doesn't mean Christ isn't working to open us up too, just like he did Peter. The fact is, Jesus is calling us everywhere we are, in our homes, in our families, in our jobs, and in all of our work and activities. He is calling us and transforming us daily to be agents of his grace in a world desperate for his healing, forgiveness, and restoration that only he can provide. Amen. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.